The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. It's seven minutes after eight and time for the Forum at Eight. And as I indicated earlier, the Minister of Finance, a very busy man this morning, but uh, I can tell you that he is making his way towards us and he should be here shortly. In the meantime, let me introduce our other guest this morning, uh, Dr. Iraj Abedian, Chief Economist at Pan-African Investments. Thanks for coming through. Thank you very much. And we also have Isabel Fry with us. She's the Director of Studies in Poverty and Inequality um, at the the Poverty and Inequality Institute. Thanks for your time as well. Thank you very much for the invitation. So I guess this gives us an opportunity (laughs) before the Minister gets here to get your reaction to the budget that was delivered yesterday. Um, Before the budget was delivered, uh, there was uh, more or less consensus around the fact that the Minister would have to do a balancing act here uh, and in the main try to keep the ratings agencies at bay. So what was your take on that, um, Dr. Abedian? Um, thanks very much. I think the the balancing act uh, is the common normal challenge of a minister of finance. Our minister of finance has been thrown into a situation where it is, by all accounts, abnormal, in the sense that um, our economy's growth has been neglected and has degenerated to around half a percent. Um, the political consistency that the minister of finance requires to have as precondition in order to be able to do a sensible and credible and sustainable balancing act are not in place. We have seen chops and changes and and it, uh, it's very, very unsettling. So all of that has placed an additional exceptional burden on the, on the budget speech. So given that we are one notch away from junk status, The challenge is not so much fiscal any longer as it is about growth. If we do not have a credible, urgent, and sustainable growth strategy that in the next three years will raise our growth from the current half a percent to two and a half to three percent, which we require to be able to do a balancing act, we cannot, no minister of finance can can do sort of man- magic. So the burden that we've put on it as a result of policy inconsistency, political uh, meddling that's been going through, and the fact that the economy's um, confidence, both on the side of the poor, on the side of the consumer, and on the side of the investors, has at all-time high since, uh, all-time low since 1992, that has constrained the Minister of Finance. The Minister of Finance cannot do magic. We need to be very practical about what the Minister can and what the Minister cannot do with the best of intention. Having said that, in this condition, he's done a magic. He's done a, a brilliant job with, with his team at National Treasury and needs to be heard and, con- in a way, congratulated for, the, for what they have done in a very, very constrained environment. Isabel, what's your take? Thank you. Um, in, in terms of the budget speech, I think many people were looking for a sign of leadership um, that people felt was um, absent to a degree from the State of the Nation address. And looking at uh, placing the entire uh, budget within the context, it was disappointing that, very, that there was no reference to what's happening on campuses right now, as well as the pain that's happened recently in South Africa, or that, that's been articulated recently in South Africa around race, which I think really is an indication of people's feeling of marginalization. The, um, a lot of commentary refers to the question of whether this is a deferment of the pain, 
the balance, as uh, Iraj said recently, um, between the uh, ratings agency on the one hand, the election year on the other hand. Um, but to many people, the question emerges, when are the poor going to benefit? Um, this was a budget which uh, really was a holding pattern, but in terms of the um, constraints, the budgetary constraints that are facing uh, millions of poor people in terms of the, their inability to cope, their inability to feed their families, and the, the lack of hope that anything's really going to change is something which uh, needs to be considered. Um, so, uh, just speaking about the poor, what would you have liked to hear that you didn't hear that would have had the impact that you want to see? Uh, greater ex uh, expenditure on social security. So, you look at, for instance, the child support grant, which is going to be increased to 350 rand per month per child. That equates to 11 rand 67 per child per day. If you look at a litre of milk being 11 rand 83 per litre. Um, that's not a lot in which to raise, the, to raise children with. There's also, there's no social security for working age people. Um, so if you're unemployed, which about 8.3 million um, working adults are, um, there is absolutely no fat in which you can feed yourself. There, there's very little ability for you to um, have a secure household, have a secure income, and, and to look to the future. In addition to that, the majority of households now um, borrow money from machinistas in order to survive with uh, very high interest rates. And, and so there's a cycle to, of desperation. And uh, so in as much as the minister had to look at doing that on a national scale, people are doing that on an individual scale. And the question is really, were there not other priorities, were there no, no other choices that, that could have been introduced? People were anticipating an increase in VAT, for instance, and although that's um, dismissed as, as being a regressive tax, if you zero rate certain things and fundamentals, there are possibilities in which you can actually use um, instruments which might be blunt instruments normally in a much sharpened way. And uh, by, by um, illustration of this, interestingly, in 1941 in the UK, um, when the whole welfare state started to be introduced, um, after the first three years of rationing, which is when people think that food was actually rationed, um, the, f the poorest third of people in the UK actually began to eat properly for the first time. So the, the instruments that we have, we might be constrained in the choices that we have, but surely there are ways in which we can have a far sharper approach to the end goal which we're hoping to achieve. Well, Minister Praveen Gordon is here. Thank you so much for coming through. And um, you've heard a bit of what uh, Isabel has said. Um, uh, Iraj Abedian, um, he was much more, uh, you know, uh, praiseworthy of your effort yesterday. But as far as the ratings agencies goes and, and, and trying to keep them at bay, uh, the question has to be asked, you know, where does the balance lie uh, between protecting our credit rating and selling our sovereignty well firstly good morning to your listeners to yourselves and to the fellow panelists here and apologies for coming in a bit late from a previous engagement um, the bottom line is we're not prepared to sacrifice our sovereignty uh, our sovereignty both political and fiscal is a very hard earned uh, achievement and one which uh, we need to protect at all costs and this budget is not just about rating agencies, it's about us, ourselves, about how do we place ourselves on a sustainable footing, how do we ensure that uh, we grow the economy and uh, ensure that in the way in which we grow the economy, the concept of inclusivity begins to 
uh, ripen, begins to en- become enriched, we begin to find new mechanisms. Because the word doesn't translate into mechanisms, the word doesn't translate into concrete programs in itself. Mm. So we've got to reinterrogate what we mean by growth. We need to reinterrogate what we mean by beneficiaries. And we are a capitalist society in a capitalist economy. But the nature of capitalism today is a, is a much debated concept. And you can have kind capitalism and you can have really nasty capitalism. The choice is ours. And one of the things that we need to get going as a conversation in South Africa is which one do we want? Um, because we have both versions. <laughs> in, our, in our society. And uh, in the more recent conversations with business, I think we, we are beginning to get to the point where we say, what does a social democracy look like in South Africa? What are its key elements? We cannot be a welfare state. We can't afford it in, in this period and in the kind of world that we live in. But at the same time, we need to find uh, increasingly better ways of improving the lives of the poor. And social security in itself is but a, a temporary measure for those that are able-bodied, that are able to work, that are able to be unskilled, and if given the opportunity, are willing to uh, engage with the economy more broadly. So the question is, there's a very large number of people uh, today in South Africa who probably, if they find the right uh, avenues, facilitation, assistance, uh, training, for example, mentoring, uh, would be an effective part of the economy. They don't need any welfare. They would look after themselves. Mm. And that should be the objective that we aim for, ultimately. So, ultimately, we're going to have to boost economic growth. Mm. Um, we have examples in the past, however, that that isn't necessarily uh, the silver bullet that we are looking for, that it will guarantee that we take care of the unemployment crisis. However, what do you think, Minister, in your budget speech yesterday, um, had the biggest impact on giving us some sort of indication of where that economic growth boost would come from? Firstly, the 865 billion rand investment in the three-year period where we still have uh, great difficulties on, the side, on our side, but also uh, the wider base on which that infrastructure investment is taking place. In the past years, it was largely uh, Eskom and Transnet that were the major spenders. I think what you saw was a a wider set of uh, actors being uh, involved in infrastructure, particularly at a municipal level, where in some municipalities uh, that kind of investment works and works well. In others, the money is either wasted or not spent at all. Mm. And uh, sometimes one one actually comes to the view, I do certainly, that money isn't the problem in South Africa. It's how we spend it that's the problem. That there is uh, far too much of corruption, there's far too many extractors in the system who take for themselves and as a result the benefit doesn't go down to the poor it's not because of the lack of money in the system in the first instance it's because of how we spend it secondly we are poor implementers in many areas both the private sector and the public sector medupi is being built by the private sector not by the state the state is funding it and the state is probably project managing some elements of it but the actual delivery and installation of turbines and all of the other things that you have in a power station is taking place to the private sector. And so implementation is, in fact, the major focus for the years ahead. How do we take all these big, nice ideas that we have and make them effective on the ground? And the last point is we need more people activation and involvement, not passivity.
We don't want people to earn their dignity merely by hand- receiving handouts from the state. I think we have had lots of experience on the ground, others have had as well over the years. Unleash the energy of our people, unleash their own creativity, give them that minimal support that they actually require, and they become quite an interesting part of, of the economy as we, as we go forward. Your detractors would say that's talk, you know, those are platitudes, because how do we actually go about doing that? Because all of what you are saying now isn't really new. Um, we've been saying these things for the longest time. So how then do we make sure that there is less wastage of resources at all levels of, um, you know, government spending? Start a campaign on SAFM to, to, say to, to, to say to people, report every act of corruption that you see. And let's start doing something about it. Tell the prosecuting authority they need to send more people to jail because if they don't, nobody will take any anti-corruption drive seriously. We're not serious as a society, not just as government, because if we're serious as a society, all of us will obsess about it. All of us will make sure that we're participants in this in one, one way or another. That's on the corruption side. But as far as development is concerned, mm. I've been around the country in the last 18 months in my previous job. There's lots of energy and initiative, initiative around. But both from the government side and the kind of more developed business side, we're not doing enough at a micro level. Right? So there are people growing bananas in Limpopo or tomatoes that can actually be exported. And, uh, but they don't have the mechanism to connect. Yet in other places, uh, some of the retailers have connected with farmers mm. who supply them with spinach every day or cabbage every day. Now, why can't we make that a universal phenomenon in South Africa and make that something that both the private sector, the NGO sector and ourselves work together instead of haggling amongst ourselves? Choose concrete projects on the ground and begin to show that if we work together with the community, we can actually produce results. And I I certainly believe we can. Well, uh, in conversation uh, with Minister of Finance, Praveen Gordon, also Isabel Fry and Iraj Abedian. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. So it's the morning after the budget speech and with us this morning is the Minister of Finance, Mr. Praveen Gordon, also Iraj Abedian and Isabel Fry, uh, talking about uh, some of the issues that were highlighted uh, during yesterday's uh, budget speech. I just want to also, um, before you know, we open the lines and get back to our guests, just uh, touch on a few things because we're not going to have time to get to all of it this morning. So let's just be clear on that. Um, the issue of privatization, many people were looking forward to hearing uh, a little more about where perhaps uh, government would be making those sort of concessions. Um, But what do you believe, Minister, can be done uh, to relieve the fiscus of some of the guarantees to SOEs? 467 billion rand it is. What can be done in that regard? If they become more self-sustainable and less reliant on guarantees and reliant on their own balance sheets, I'm sure Iraj can tell you Mm. a bit about it, then they begin to relieve the burden on us. What, what do these guarantees mean? It means that against this guarantee, there's been borrowing that's been taking place. If that entity is unable to pay uh, back that amount of money that they've actually borrowed, the guarantee gets called. It means the government must now provide that 400-odd billion rands. And so we, uh, there was a fairly significant amount of attention paid to SOCs and the way in which they operate the uh, extent of their reliance. So Eskom, for example, has a guarantee of 350 billion rands. They've only used about half of it or just over half at this point in time. SAA 
is about 14.4 billion rands, of which they've used over 13 billion rands of guarantees. If SAA is unable to pay back one of those uh, loans that they've taken on the basis of that guarantee, tomorrow morning, inverted commas, the state has to find 14 mm. billion rands. So I think uh, what we require are boards of SOEs and management within SOEs that ensure that these entities are well governed, that financially they are sound, and that they can stand on their own feet. And that in time, hopefully sooner rather than later, as I said yesterday, the concept of bailout begins to disappear. And if you look at the post office, for example, at the moment, <laughs> what is going on at the post office, Minister? It's just the post office. <laughs> but they are in serious difficulty at the moment. Um, the workers at the post office don't have any guarantee that they would be paid from month to month. And surely that's not a viable situation. No, it isn't. And you, you, you've had the minister put in a new management team uh, at the post office. That's, and it's somebody from the private sector. So it's uh, an interesting experiment uh, where... A private sector uh, person brings their set of skills uh, to a state enterprise. And, and uh, a again, on all sides, we've probably chosen wrong boards in the past. We've probably had wrong executives in the past um, and uh, appointed people on the basis of them being my friend or not my friend. I don't know. You can just actually look at that and ask the question, why do we continuously go wrong mm. when you do have skills in South Africa? Uh, in, in our various communities that can actually run enterprises well. Iran? Yeah, I think the, the, the SOEs are not any different from any private operation. What running an organization needs three things, broadly. Put the right governance in place, meaning competent board, people with experience. Yes, their heart should be in the right place, but not heart alone. Ethics is important. So we get the board of the organizations right, that's the first step. The second one is stop political meddling. When you appoint a board, apply your mind, appoint the right people who are uh, competent collectively. After that, keep them accountable to the operations, which means they have to choose the management. Management must be accountable to the procedures and, and, and the uh, sort of performance measures of the board. Common stuff. These are really organization management 101. Nothing new. We've broken all of that. When management is competent, they got to deliver. Maybe our SOEs at the moment are financially broke. They're putting extraordinary pressure on the fiscus, and that means extraordinary pressure on the poor, and not on the rich. Uh, mm. And we must appre we haven't appreciated that. We appoint the wrong people and they talk uh, language as if they are the champion of the poor and transformation. They are the enemies of transformation. They are the enemies of the poor. They are destroying national brands, South Africa. They are destroying the credibility of the government. We have the done question that then is, where's the financial oversight? How does an institution get to the point where it's on its knees? How does that, you know even get through the system? Why is it allowed to happen? It happens. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think now you, you have a group of pe uh, ministers uh, chaired by the deputy president. We've started discussions anew on how do we get better, if you like, oversight. Uh, we now have a report from the National Treasury. You have the report of the commission that the president has appointed. So in a sense, uh, we could have a new beginning. Uh, where the approach to appointing boards must be different, the approach to appointing executives must be different, uh, the question of uh, 
doing favors for either politicians or other business people rather than concentrating on the core business itself and what is in its interest uh, is, is something that we need to reintroduce. And uh, Iraj is right. Uh, in, in too many of the things that we do as government um, uh, and, and, and in relationship to various parts of the business sector, we are compromising what we can actually deliver on the ground. Isabel? Thank you. Um, I'd like to change the discussion slightly to looking at the um, point that the Minister made yesterday about policy certainty, uh, which is a very fundamental one in terms of long-term uh, trajectories of growth. Uh, one of the concerns that, that people have is uh, the reference to the NDP as being central to a lot of the, the government um, planning and, and shaping is premised on a growth rate which we are very far from attaining. So the question is, what's going to shift in order to, to sort of stem the gap between what we relied on and what we're actually getting? And how is that going to impact on the priorities that we have? Um, the flip side of that, which is something which I'd like to raise into this discussion, is the question of alternative venues of, of revenue. One of the things that the minister referred to was the question of the sort of illicit trans, uh, capital flows and transfer mispricing. He made reference to the tax justice network and the work that, that's been done around that. And that's something which South Africa has led on in the past. Um, Kenya recently, the CA introduced a law to limit uh, multinational transfer mispricing, and maybe that, that's something which uh, the Minister would like to speak to in terms of how we prevent the loss of revenue that is being produced in this country, profits that are being produced in this country, um, in a time when there is a, 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 a sort of a shrinking pot from which to draw. We'll come back to that. It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live. Welcome back. Dissecting the budget on the forum at 8 this morning with uh, Minister Praveen Gordon and also with us, Iraj Abedian and Isabel Fry. And um, just to answer the questions that Isabel uh, posed to Minister Gordon before the break, and uh, we'll take your calls right after that. So there was the issue of the uh, illicit, uh, illicit capital flows and also uh, the NDP, because uh, what is the plan of action and the timelines, Minister, attached to uh, the, um, uh, the uh, National Development Plan and its implementation? You know, if, if there was a ready-made formula by a mathematician or equivalent, an economist, which says if you do X and Y and Z, it will equal 5% growth, everybody will be above 5% in the world. So the question that economists have never been able to resolve is what gives you higher growth? Um, but there are certain fundamentals which we mentioned in the speech yesterday, macroeconomic stability, policy uh, certainty, um, and then we've got to come to business confidence because if you don't have business confidence, you don't get uh, uh, investments in, in, uh, in the economy. And then investments themselves, both by government and the private sector. We still subpar uh, as far as that is concerned. Then at, at the moment, we don't have enough savings in South Africa, which means you rely on what we call foreign direct investment. We're not hungry enough as South Africans to go and look for foreign direct investments mm -hmm as many of the other countries do, um, of, of equivalent size in, in economic terms as well. We think we are, we are Madiba's children. People will come to us. Just wait, and uh, things will happen for us. We need to become aggressive, uh, competitive, have a sense of urgency, and have uh, the cohesion that's required that will actually give us uh, the benefits of, of, of this. Uh, we, we have good innovative things happening at universities and some of the research institutions. Our commercialization processes don't work. 
as effectively as we as we should have them working. So things actually developed here, but they commercialized elsewhere. Uh, but also the scale of innovation in South Africa needs to improve as well. Um, but above all, we need to change the structure of our economy. We are a fairly oligopolistic economy. In other words, you have a few firms that dominate many key sectors. And so competition in our economy is uh, not as good, as good as it should be. And you can get fairly good returns, Iraj will tell you that, uh, by being fairly comfortable mm. in terms of the way uh, businesses actually operate. It's not a criticism of the current business sector, but one of the tough conversations we need to have is how do you get small and medium-sized businesses growing, how do you get social enterprises growing, how do you get more competition in the market, and how do you encourage, as I was saying earlier on, more entrepreneurs as well. On the question of what uh, was called alternative revenue, we've been working on that since 2005. We have enough laws in the country. Uh, we probably have enough skills as well if we can get uh, them concentrated in the right place. But our opposition has far more resources than we have, i.e., uh, multinational corporations, etc. I've, I've been aware of, in my uh, previous job in the Revenue Administration, of the Tax Justice Network and have worked with some of those people over the years as well. But the question is that uh, how do we tackle a far more sophisticated way of working? Uh, the reluctance of the developed countries to really tack, tackle tax havens. So we've had some shift since 2009 because everybody got into fiscal trouble, both developed and developing. But uh, Cayman Islands is still Cayman Islands, and uh, Jersey is still Jersey, and Liechtenstein and Luxembourg and so on are still exactly what they are. Mm -hmm. No, no, no developed country initiative has actually begun to tackle those as tax havens where people can reduce uh, their, their, their tax liability. What is good in recent times is we've all heard about Starbucks in the UK, Google in the UK, and, and so on. And uh, it's time to challenge the CEOs and chairpersons of boards of these big multinational corporations at a moral level and at a societal level. So all of us use Google. Mm -hmm. But we must ask, do they pay their fair share of taxes all over the world? All of us use uh, Apple products. Do they pay their fair share of tax all over the world? And how much are we lo losing? Uh, in dividends out of, out of a country uh, because of the dominance of some of these uh, companies in, in various markets. So there's some fundamental questions mm. that we need to ask ourselves. So see, we're sitting here and we're thinking, damn, you know, as the tax man comes after me, I expect him to go after Google. Can't just be coming after me. But, but, but um, just before we go to those calls, the public sector wage bill. And, and, and uh, you spoke about this, the containment of the administrative personnel expenditure, um, amongst other things. How exactly are you hoping to actually make real inroads here? When uh, your previous stint as uh, Minister of Finance, you came up with a whole host of austerity measures. Has that actually shown any reward? Have you uh, seen any real savings come from that? And because... If we haven't really seen any, what's the point then in coming up with more measures if nobody's going to actually abide by it? You were flying economy class. I couldn't help but wonder when I... They I were don't always do it, so I must confess. No, <laughs> but you see, we now expect to see you in economy class. Every now and again. And then I see ministers and I'm like, I want to see where they're going to sit because Praveen <laughs> was flying uh, economy class. No, that's unfair. That's Why is it unfair? No, no, let's get to your substantive <laughs> <question>. <laughs> Uh, 
on, on, on the compensation or uh, salary bill of the state, we, we, we've got 1.3 million people working in the state, many of them at a provincial level, because they are the nurses and uh, teachers and so on, where the bulk of the people are employed. But what we had probably in the mid-2000s and a little bit beyond that is a large number of administrative staff being added on. But uh, I must credit many of the provinces. They've done well over the last few years. I was surprised myself that uh, they've tightened their recruitment processes. They've locked up, inverted commas, the personnel system. And uh, through attrition, not, not retrenchments or any negative conduct, they've, they've begun to bring down uh, the headcount and they've discovered more and more ghosts. So that is also helping. Even today, there are ghosts, inverted commas, uh, being uh, discovered in some of the provinces mm. and entities as well. So it says something about our culture in South Africa, that we are prepared to create these ghosts so that we can get multiple salaries paid into our accounts. So what does it say about our morality, our ethics, our accountability for public finances, if we go and crooked, crook ourselves uh, at, at the end of the day? These efforts are going to pay off over time. Uh, we don't want to move in a direction where we say we're going to retrench people, etc., etc. You're going to get an ebb and flow in, in this environment. But we've got to ask ourselves and work with uh, labor on some of the tougher questions around uh, compensation for public sector employees when everybody else is battling for a job, uh, for example. And these are the first efforts in, in, in that direction. And by the way, we don't, really don't have austerity in South Africa. We've cut nobody's pension. All of you guys at the SABC are still getting your salaries. <laughs> uh, if you ask, ask Iraj, he'll tell you what real austerity is about. We, we know where they're. Okay, um, uh, maybe uh, we should go to the calls, 891 Lester September, uh, you from the Cape Town Greatest Civic Alliance. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. It's actually the Greater Cape Town Civic Alliance. Um, I'm the Liquor License and Anti-Substance Abuse Portfolio um, Coordinator, and I just wanted to talk a bit on the, the levy that was the increase in the levy. Um, I think the levy is a good revenue stream, but does not address the levels of alcohol abuse as the industry simply po passes this cost on to consumers, and they and the liquor industry um, are really not affected by the 86 cents increase. In our contribution to the national budget 2016, we recommended an anti-alcohol abuse fund be set up by government, which must be funded by the liquor industry, which will therefore uh, directly be paid by the industry. Um, and we're saying that they should be paid by a 5% levy on the assets under management. The minister knows that we're spending a huge amount on alcohol abuse um, related to road accidents, crime, and all of that sort of thing, while we have the highest levels of um, alcohol abuse and, um, in the world. Um, and I just want to know what he, what he thinks about that proposal. I also just want to say thank you for the 150 billion rand being spent on integrating our cities. However, can a provision not be attached to this allocation, making sure we address apartheid spatial planning as municipal maintenance costs associated with urban sprawl is probably one of the biggest um, costs to the city budget. Um, we've seen mm. in Cape Town the creation of over a fear by the city of Cape Town, which is 35 kilometers away from Cape Town CBD, while the southern suburbs main route was not being included in the five-year integrated human settlement plan, which I believe is funded by national government. So can we not also have a proviso on that, making sure that 
we're looking at what we see as a wastage. Urban sprawl is a wastage that costs a lot okay. um, to maintain that. Thank Thanks, Lester. Mulefi and welcome. Good morning. Mulefi? Okay, let's try and Sansa in Durban. Hi, Sansa. Hi, Sakin and the Minister. Uh, thanks for the budget speech, Minister. I'm not going to touch on the good things that you, you, you have spoken to yesterday, but I'll touch on those things that remain a concern to us uh, as the People's Revolutionary Movement. The tire and the petrol increase to us affects more to, to the poor, uh, that the poor definitely are going to feel the pinch because uh, the, 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 the price of taxes, the transport fare is going to increase and they're going to suffer. The price of uh, 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 sweet uh, drinks is also going to affect because people eat bread and then have orange juice uh, because they don't have anything to eat. Uh, it's going to affect uh, them the most. And we did not touch on industrial development, particularly to address the poor African problem. I would suggest, lastly, that uh, the small business uh, department, small business department and the military uh, the, the veterans, in fact, uh, should be done away with. And money from the small uh, business entrepreneurs uh, should be found in municipalities for effective implementation and monitoring. And the military veterans uh, department should be found in the defense force, and that could be addressed uh, very easily. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Sansa, Alistair, you're also in Durban. Good morning. Good morning, and good morning to the Minister and Raj and, and to the lady, I'm sorry, I didn't get her name. Isabel. I think this quote is attributed to Winston Churchill, that for a nation to try and lift itself into prosperity through the raising of taxes is like a man standing in a bucket of water trying to lift himself up by its handle. So I really got what the Minister said yesterday, but I think that the 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 buck should stop with the government. Um and we've got to work out how we trim costs in all the SOEs, the parastatals that are draining the fiscus and affecting, like someone said rightly, I think Garage said it, affecting the poor directly. And I think if we can get a handle on that, we're on, we're on the right path. Thank you, Alistair. Uh, I think we have Mulefi and welcome back. Mulefi? Good morning. I want just to ask two questions. The minister talked earlier on about... Uh, um, the situation that was there in Britain, or it's one of your panelists that talked about it shortly after the Second World War, where people were being given rations of food and all those things. Um, my question is the following. Is this system of social grants, free houses, etc., uh, etc., et not too heavy on the fiscal that eventually it won't be sustainable. My fear is this. In Britain, that was for a specified or a foreseeable period of time. In our situation, it would seem that as long as there is government, as so long must there be free houses, so long must there be social grants. And, and it, it's so heavy, that's how I feel, and it inhibits growth of the economy in various ways. The second one is the following. We have also this un, un, uncontrollable influx of people from various parts of the world into this country. If you walk today in what used to be commercial street in Johannesburg, 
or in what to use to be Maitland Street, the Charlotte McLeagan now in Bloemfontein. You see various businesses of certain people. Now, when you ask yourself an important question, do these people pay taxes? Do these people contribute positively to the economy of South Africa? Where do they take their monies to, etc., etc.? You come with one question, oh, no, they're taking it home. They're doing this, that, and the other. But the problem is there are so many of them, so many of them. That's, that, that, that's all what I wanted to say. Thank you so much, uh, Mulefi, and welcome. Uh, so let's take a moment to respond to those calls. Um, Minister, I'm going to start with you and then Isabel. Uh, so Lester talking about uh, Lika Levy anti-alcohol abuse fund, uh, uh, which came as a suggestion, and also the issue of spatial planning. No, Lester is absolutely right. Alcohol abuse and drug abuse more generally is a serious pro- problem, particularly amongst the poorer communities. Um, and, and the industry does claim that it, it is uh, contributing to safe and proper use of alcohol. Uh, but I'd like to take up his point uh, at some stage and begin to see if the industry could do more uh, to take responsibility for this area. But we must also, as communities, take responsibility to tackle the problem of alcohol abuse as well and change uh, the way in which the, this type of behavior is becoming uh, self-destructive. Uh, and, and congratulations on the work that you do, uh, Lester. On, on, in, on integrated planning, we, we do have uh, a, a virtually final draft of the Integrated Urban Development Framework, which does uh, require that we overcome the legacy of apartheid planning. Uh, but it's true, we are replicating some of that in mm. the way in which municipalities are operating, both in Cape Town but elsewhere as well. We're also replicating it in the way in which new housing projects are located, and uh, that's one of the more serious issues that that we're looking at uh, in the context of some of these uh, projects that uh, different departments in government are initiating. Um, And I think we need to, uh, as as you say, take a much tougher stance. So had I remained in my previous job, I would have been able to do that, but let me see what I can do uh, from, from my new job. But... Your thinking is absolutely correct. And we're not doing enough, uh, as your next caller, Tlantla, pointed out, uh, about uh, safe and uh, affordable transport. So Once you start having to travel 30, 40 kilometers uh, one way, let alone two ways uh, in any particular day, the cost factor begins to kick in. And people do spend between 30 and 40 percent of their uh, low incomes on transport costs. So this is an area that we are going to look at a lot more seriously and see how the current subsidies that we provide for public transport are utilized and better rationalized so that uh, a a greater cross-section of people using different types of transport can actually uh, benefit from what we're saying. And I I hear you on on the petrol price increase, but the low oil price has given us some, some benefits. And if the currency behaves, we could get more benefits uh, out of this as well. So if the rand gets weaker, then it neutralizes the, the low oil price uh, to, to, to some extent. Your, your uh, focus on small business development is, is uh, correct. Some municipalities do well in this area. Many don't do well. Uh, they seem to have what they call local economic development departments and capabilities, but they are... Uh, not staffed by people who actually know how to start businesses and run businesses and help other people 
run their businesses as well. But in Atlanta, you make some very important points. Alistair, um, I don't think Churchill's proposition works in, in, in South Africa. Um, taxes have been, over the last 20 years, an important source of redistribution in our country. And had we not uh, had the higher uh, economic growth, uh, the commodity boom in the 2000s, and the tax benefits of that, we wouldn't be where we are in terms of the social safety net that we have and the social wage expenditure that we are engaged in at the moment and trying to defend uh, against tremendous odds at this point in time. At the same time, um, you say the buck stops with the SOEs, the buck stops with all of us because all of us have to take responsibility for ensuring that we overcome inequality, poverty and unemployment in South Africa. If we think parts of our society uh, can live in comfort and uh, detached from the reality of the vast majority of South Africans, then we need to change our perspectives and uh, realize that all of us need to move into probably a 20-year period of social solidarity where we change attitudes, we make a deeper commitment to uh, helping people out of poverty, we make a deeper commitment to sharing what we have in order that we can actually uh, have a majority of people benefiting. Molefe, uh, you, you, you are absolutely right that, uh, and we've said so, and even the President has said so, that uh, merely increasing social grants and uh, things like free housing is necessary at a particular point in time, but not sustainable over a long time particularly when you have a young population like we do that are uh, disengaged from the economy and given opportunities they would in fact become productive parts of the economy. Our focus needs to be on training, on development, getting a better education system and creating economic opportunities both through people's own initiative and through assistance both from government and from big business uh, as well. The question of inflow is a silent factor in South Africa. On the one hand, we do need to express our solidarity to anybody who finds themselves in difficulty and comes into our country. On the other hand, this is a huge fiscal burden as well. And you'll find provinces like Gauteng, Pumalanga and others that are on the borderline, so to speak, often complaining about how their hospitals, uh, their education facilities and others are uh, being overstretched. You also have the phenomenon where people from our neighboring countries register in South Africa as South African citizens, get access to social grants in South Africa and other facilities in South Africa for which uh, they do not contribute in any way uh, from their base countries as well. But that's a longer term issue that we need to look at and get the balance right between our own solidarity with people from elsewhere and making sure that they make a contribution uh, both fiscally and to our economy as well. Isabel, your parting shot here? Thank you. Lots to say, but I know <clears throat> that time is limited. Just two points. The one is on, on uh, job creation. Uh, we noticed that there was a slight uh, cut to money for the jobs fund. I think that we need to be looking at new ways of developing decent work. The debate around the national minimum wage and NEDLAC at the moment really needs to focus on what is decent um, in, in terms of um, wages for work. And again, the huge wage inequalities in South Africa, which the minister referred to, part of the, the need to look at social solidarity. Um, and the question about um, Malefi's question, um, about social, sort of the social wage. We live in a 
constitutional democracy that is based on human rights. There might be a new way that we have to start looking at things, but the state is obliged to deliver in terms of the constitution social security, uh, housing, health care. So whether or not that's completely state dependent or where the private sector comes in in terms of the horizontal application of the constitution is something which we need to look at because the state does have the power to regulate that. And finally, in, in terms of people contributing to, to the fiscus, everybody in this country pays VAT, whether you registered for income tax or not. And that's one of the things that people need to take into account is that um, in as much as people are benefiting, people are also contributing. Um, and, and that's the whole of the pot. Thank you very much. Last word, Minister. Well, we, we have done very well over the last 20 years to build South Africa the way it is. I don't think anybody expected us to do all of this work overnight. So uh, let's work harder and let's work together to build a better South Africa in the next 10 years. It's not going to be easy, but I think we have the resources and the resilience to be able to do so, and indeed the goodwill amongst all of our people as well. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much, uh, Minister Praveen Gordon. Iraj Abedian unfortunately had to run. Isabel Fry, thanks for your time as well. And I must just apologize to all the callers whom we couldn't get to, all the comments we couldn't read. We will put them up on our website so you'll have access to them there. Thanks for your participation as always to the teams, both Joburg and Cape Town. Thanks for making sure it went out loud and clear. And of course, we'll be back tomorrow morning, bright and early, 6 to 9 a.m. right now. 9 o'clock, time for news with Utsile Sako.